I heard a couple guys talking the other day. They were talking about how during the whole COVID thing, they'd both gained a little bit of weight. And the first guy said, listen, I got an idea. Let's be dieting buddies. He said, whenever I get the urge to, to drive out in my car and buy a burger and fries, I'll call you first. And the other guy says, great, I'll go with you. Ever have a moment like that in life? Ever have a moment when you're kind of slow on the uptake? I had one of those moments in preparing for today's sermon. Normally, today, this Sunday in September, is what we call a vision cast Sunday. It's a Sunday where I, for the last 12 years, have laid out our mission and our vision and our values, and I lay out the schedule for the next few months. It's a classic vision cast sermon. And I had actually written the basic outline for the sermon several months ago. So I had it in my files. I pulled it out a couple of weeks ago as I began to put the final touches on it for uh, this morning. And as I was sitting down a week ago to put on those final touches, I couldn't do it. It was too frustrating. Nothing was coming together. I felt unsettled. So I walked away for a few moments, came back to my desk and started working on it again. Once again, nothing. I was hitting a brick wall. Mentally, I just couldn't get going on this thing. So I got up and I went out for a walk for out in a field by my home for quite a while. And I was struggling. I, I, I had no idea what God was trying to say to me. And finally, I just called out to God and I said, God, what do you want me to say to the people of Broadway Church? And as I walked alone in that field, one word just popped into my mind. One word suddenly began to consume my mind and my thoughts. And like pulling a string on a sweater, the more I pulled at this one word, the more that uh, rose to the surface in my heart and in my mind. I'm going to get to that one word in just a moment. But let me say this as a, a broader context. I understand the fatigue that you're probably feeling. I'm feeling it too. I am so sick and tired of this whole COVID thing. I'm tired of masks. I'm tired of social distancing. I'm tired of all of it. And the fatigue is really starting to set in on me, especially as we're heading into the fall and normally this fall season of sports starting up again and school starting up again and, and life roaring up again. But this fall is like no other fall. We're just exhausted. It's a carryover. We had hoped by now that things would be moving and changing, and we'd hoped by now that things would be improving. But now they're all talking. People are talking about maybe a second wave, and, and maybe school will start and stop again. And it's just exhausting. It's frustrating. It's fatiguing. I get it. I understand. I live there. There's a whole uncertainty. You know, people ask, Pastor Darren, so when are we going to start gathering again and have our normal services? We don't know, folks. In fact, right now as a leadership, we're not anticipating gathering again until perhaps the spring, or at the very earliest, the early of the year 2021. That's what the government is telling us. That's what we're being led to believe. So there's all of this uncertainty. Well, what are we going to do? How are we going to plan? By the way, we know what we're doing here at Broadway this fall. Stick around after the sermon for an announcement and an update about what you can expect to happen week to week from now until the end of the year. But suffice it to say, there's a lot of unknowns in our world right now. There's fatigue, there's frustration, there's uncertainty, there's fear, and it all adds up to a toxic mental emotional brew. But here's the thing. 
What if I were to tell you that there is a way out of this chaos? I've discovered a vaccine. No, not quite. But what if I was to tell you there is a way through this chaos? What if I were to tell you that the way out and the way through could be summed up in one simple word? Would you be interested in knowing what that one word is? Well, that's what I felt God showing me. And that is what we're going to unpack for the next few moments today. I'm going to do my best to equip you to face an uncertain future with absolute confidence, no matter what you're facing, no matter what lies before you. I'm going to do that by placing one word front and center in your heart and in your mind. And that one word holds the key to defeating anxiety, fear, frustration, and worry. So what is that one word? Here it is. The one word is trust. T-R-U-S-T. Write it in big letters on your outline today. Trust. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, come on, Darren, seriously? I mean, that's it? That's your answer? Trust? Is that supposed to be some magical way forward? What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to sprinkle some fairy dust of trust in our minds and suddenly everything's going to be fine? No, not at all. That's not at all what I'm saying. Trust is not magical. Trust is not mystical. Trust is actually quite logical and quite practical. Trust isn't a denial of reality. In fact, trust is quite the opposite. Trust is what happens when you finally face reality. You see, that's part of your problem if you're feeling overwhelmed by life. If you're feeling anxious and fearful about your life, it's not because you're facing reality. It's because you're actually ignoring reality. What do I mean? I remember being in college and as we were entering a classroom, sitting down at our desks, the professor was sitting at the front of the class and one of the students walked in and the professor said, hey, Joe, how are you doing? And Joe said, not bad under the circumstances. And the professor said, what are you doing under your circumstances? As a follower of Jesus, you're supposed to be above your circumstances. I never forgot that. See, I want to equip you today to live as you were designed to live. I want to equip you today to face life as a follower of Jesus Christ should face it. I want to teach you today how to trust God, how to trust God at perhaps a deeper level in your life. Now, before you dismiss me, give me 15 more minutes, just 15 more minutes that might change the rest of your life. Now, what comes to your mind when you hear the word trust? I mean, what is trust? How do you do it? What does it mean to trust God? How does a person trust God? I'm proposing to you today that trust is not a magical spell and trust is not a mystical experience. I'm proposing to you today that trust is very practical. It's a practical response to reality. Which brings us to today's big idea. We're doing the big idea right off the top. It's where we sum up the teaching in one phrase. Here it is. Trust is a position you take from a decision you make. We're going to learn today that trust is a position you take from a decision you make. Listen, what are you facing right now? What are you fearing right now? What circumstance stands like a giant, like a Goliath in front of you, taunting you, tormenting you? 
No matter how you've answered these previous questions, your next step is the same. Trust. Trust God. You say, how? How am I supposed to trust God? Trust is a position you take from a decision you make. So how do you live this out? Well, I'm going to give you three very quick biblical examples, three practical examples of what it actually looks like to trust God. The first one is the example of Abraham. Now, Abraham and Sarah are early in, in the Old Testament in the Bible. God calls Abraham and Sarah, and God makes a promise. He says, Abraham, Sarah, listen, I'm going to use you and your offspring, and I'm going to build a nation through you. Sound like a great plan, except Abraham and Sarah had been married for decades, and they tried and tried, but they couldn't seem to have children. Now, Abraham was 90 years old, was 100 years old, and Sarah was 90 years old, and they hadn't had children yet. But God made them a promise. He said, I'm going to do something miraculous through you. And at the age of 190, they indeed did conceive and have a child. By the way, seniors, don't try this at home. Well, after they had this child, Isaac, then sometime later, God tested Abraham. In fact, this is what the Bible says in Genesis 22. It'll be on your screen right now. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. That would now be Temple Mount in Jerusalem. He says, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. On a mountain I will show you. Well, Abraham obeyed. He did this. He walked to this place. It took Abraham longer to get there than it should have, but I'm sure he had lots going through his mind at that time. And to make a long story short, he eventually ended up laying his son out on the ground, holding up a knife, and he was about to sacrifice his son as God had commanded him when God spoke out and said, No, Abraham, stop right there. Now I know, and Abraham, now you know that you can be trusted, that I can trust you, and that you, Abraham, trust me. How did Abraham do it? I mean, seriously, that's a bizarre story. How did Abraham do it? How did he manage to trust God at such an intense level? If only we could get a sense of what was going through Abraham's mind at that time. Actually, we do know what was going through Abraham's mind at that time. Because the New Testament writer of Hebrews tells us. It's on your outline. It'll be on the screen. It says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And look at this next two words. In fact, underline these next two words on your outline. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. We now know how Abraham managed to trust God. Abraham reasoned. And that word in the original Greek language in which this was written, logizomai, it's where we get our English word logic. It means to compute. It means to count. It means to conclude, to decide. It literally means to reason to a logical conclusion. Abraham trusted God. And how did Abraham manage to do that? 
He didn't get all mystical. He didn't get all magical. He didn't sprinkle any fairy dust. No, Abraham reasoned. Abraham reasoned that God is in control. Abraham reasoned that God is able to fulfill his promises. Abraham reasoned that God is able to keep his promises and fulfill his purposes. Abraham reasoned that the best thing he could do at that moment was to simply obey what he had been told and trust God to take care of the rest. Abraham did back then what you and I are being called to do today. Abraham trusted. What does it mean to trust? Trust is a position you take from a decision that you make. Well, there's the example of Abraham. Secondly, there's the example of James. James was the brother of Jesus. And James, while Jesus walked the earth, James was not a follower of Jesus. James, in fact, thought his brother Jesus was losing his mind, literally what he said. But after Jesus rose from the dead, he made a special resurrection appearance to James. And James became a follower of Jesus. In fact, James became a leader of the church in Jerusalem. Now, As the years went on, the church in Jerusalem began to undergo some severe persecution, and they were scattered all over the place. Some of them were losing their homes, their businesses, their families, even their lives. And James wrote a letter to these scattered congregation members. We have it in the Bible. It's called the Book of James. And he begins this letter with the following words. It's on your outline. It'll be on the screen. James says to his scattered flock, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, if any of you does lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Again, on your outline, underline that very first word, consider. That's the ancient Greek word for your leading thought, for your strongest opinion. In other words, you've got lots of thoughts, you've got lots of opinions swirling through your mind, but this word in Greek represents the thought, the opinion that wins out, that rises up above all of the rest. James is essentially saying, listen, listen, I know folks, I know you're in difficult times. You're facing some trying days. I get it, I'm in the trenches there with you. But the way to respond to these trying times is to trust. And you trust by thinking clearly, by thinking things through. Consider the big picture. See the full scope of what's going on around you and what's going on within you. God is at work in your circumstances, is what James was saying. You know that. So let that knowledge lead the way. Let that knowledge be the leading thought in your heart and in your mind. Let that knowledge form the foundation of your life. You can trust God in the midst of your trials. You can trust God because of what you know about God. He says, consider it pure joy. In other words, let joy be be, be your chosen response whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. James is saying, listen, 
You're in the middle of a storm. You've got these raging winds coming against you, but you can stand tall against them. Why? Because you're rooted in the knowledge. You can actually let joy lead the way for you because you're rooted in the knowledge. You know who God is and you know what God does. You know that God is the greatest conceivable being. He's the all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere-present creator of the universe. You know what this God does. He turns obstacles into opportunities. You've known this through the centuries. God did this to the people of Israel. After they had been in Egyptian bondage, they were delivered, and then they were heading out of Egypt, except that the Egyptian army started to pursue them, and the Israelites were caught. They were cornered at the Red Sea, the Egyptian army in front of them, the Red Sea behind them. It was an obstacle. They were about to die. It was trying times. But what did God do? This was the God who turns obstacles into opportunities. He parted the Red Sea. They went through on dry ground. And when the Egyptian army pursued them, the waves of the Red Sea crashed in on them and destroyed them. And so on the other side, the banks of the other side of the Red Sea, the Israelites danced and sang songs. And to this day, they look back to that moment as a moment when God took an obstacle and he turned it into an opportunity. God did this with, with the, the cross. Jesus hanging on the cross, an ancient Roman torture device, a terrible curse. But God placed his son on that cross and he turned an obstacle into an opportunity. Now the Bible says, God forbid that we would boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. What was once an obstacle is now an opportunity for my sin and your sin to be cleansed and forgiven. God did this with the grave, a grave, a tomb, a tomb for death now becomes a womb for life. What was once a place which was mourning and sadness and it was the end of life is now a symbol of the beginning of eternal life. It's empty. Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. God turned an obstacle into an opportunity. That's what we know. That's the God that we know. James is, what he's telling them to do back then is what you and I are called to do today. James is telling them to trust. What does it mean to trust? Trust is a position you take from a decision that you make. We've seen this in the life of Abraham. We've seen it in the life and the ministry of James. And finally, we see it through the example of Jesus. Speaking with a lawyer long ago, and I said, so what led you into a career in law? And the guy said, well, I became a lawyer because of my hands. I said, because of your hands? What, what do you mean because of your hands? He said, well, I looked in my hands and I didn't see any money in them. So I became a lawyer. There are plenty of things to get anxious about in life, aren't there? In fact, Jesus addressed a lot of this root of anxiety and worry in a, perhaps his most famous sermon, what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what Jesus said about worry and anxiety. It's on your outline. It's on the screen. He said, I tell you, this is Jesus talking now. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Listen, is life not more, more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Now, that word worry in the original language literally means, and I found this fascinating, it's very 
picturesque, actually. The word worry in ancient Greek literally means distracted. It means to be torn in opposite directions, to be pulled apart. That's what worry is. That's what anxiety does. Our bodies actually go in one direction while our minds go somewhere else. Our bodies are, are, are dutifully navigating what's actually happening while our minds are wrestling with all the terrible things that we think could be happening or might happen in the future. So we're distracted, we're torn, we're torn apart, we're pulled in opposite directions. And Jesus said, stop it. Jesus said, do not worry. It's a direct quote. It's a command from the lips of Jesus. Jesus said, worry is an absolute waste of time and energy. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Well, the implied answer is no. Worry isn't productive. Worry is destructive. So Jesus says, don't do it. Jesus said, do not worry. In fact, he said, do the opposite to worry. Trust. That's what he goes on to say, essentially. He says in verse 32, for the pagans, that's an ancient word for people who live apart from God. He said, for the pagans, they run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Here's where the trust kicks in. And all these things will be given to you as well. Trust. It's how you live when you know that the Father loves you. Trust. It's what you do when you know that the Father sees what you need. You trust. It's the position you take from the decision you make. Well, let's conclude. What are you facing in life right now? What are you feeling about what you're facing is your heart filled with fear? Is your mind burdened with worry and anxiety? Now listen, I get it. There's a lot that we don't know right now in life. But the best way to combat what you don't know is to confirm what you do know. Follow the example of Abraham. Trust God. Reason from what you know about the power of God. Follow the example of James. Trust God. Consider all that you know about the, the way that God works through the circumstances in life. Follow the example of Jesus. Trust God. Refuse to worry and choose to focus upon the love and the care that our Heavenly Father promises to provide to us. Trust. And whatever you're facing... Whatever you're fearing, and it may have nothing to do with COVID. It may have something completely different going on in your life. Whatever circumstance, whatever uh, trial is coming your way, and like Goliath is standing in front of you, the answer is found in this one word, trust. It's not magical. It's not mystical. It's actually quite practical and quite logical. It's a position you take from a decision you make. So it's time, folks. It's time for you to decide. Right now, decide. Are you willing to stop worrying? Are you ready to respond to reason? Are you prepared to declare your new position of trusting God in your life from this moment forward? If so, I want you to, to declare this with me. I hope you printed off your outline today. 
If you did, you see that I have a trust declaration printed on the back. If not, get your camera ready because it's going to come up on the screen and you can take a screenshot of this. But I'd like you to print it off and then sign it and date it somewhere and post this somewhere in your home or your workspace or your vehicle, somewhere where you're going to see it every day. But I want either way for you to make this declaration with me. Are you ready? It's up on the screen. Let's read it out together right now. God, from this moment forward, I will no longer live in fear. From this moment forward, I will live in faith. I have decided to trust you because you have shown yourself to be trustworthy. Now, I don't always see how you're working, but you have promised that you always are working. I don't always understand what you're doing, but you have shown over the centuries that you know what you're doing. So I have decided to follow the most reasonable response. I have decided to trust you. It's the position I've taken from the decision that I'm making. I trust you. I hope that that's your prayer today. I hope that that's your decision today. You can trust him. He's trustworthy. Maybe you're watching and you've never actually trusted God at any level in your life. You've heard about him, you know about him, but you've never placed the full weight of your life in his hands. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. We talked a moment ago about the cross and the empty tomb. Jesus did that to cleanse you, to pay your moral debt. But what you need to do, like any gift, is to accept it. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. By accepting this gift, you're trusting your past, your present, and your future into his care. I'm going to pray right now and give you an opportunity to pray that with me. Let's pray together. God, I acknowledge my rebellion against you. I acknowledge my sinfulness, my waywardness. My life is full of confusion and chaos, and I don't want to live this way any longer. I'm sinking. And so I reach up to you, and I accept the gift that you have been calling out to give to me all my life. I'm not going to fight you anymore. I accept your gift. Pull me out of this, this quicksand. Lift me out of this mire, out of this, this, this emptiness, and fill my life with your presence and your power. I don't understand it all, but I choose to trust you, to accept your gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Fill me with your spirit from this moment forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, there's a number on the screen right now. Text it. Let somebody know about this decision that you've made and they'll help you take the next step in your journey in life. I pray that this week will be a, a new adventure for you. Oh, you're still going to be in the midst of trials, but in the midst of these trials, you can now have a, a, an inner sense of joy and purpose, knowing that God is in you, working through you, no matter what you face today and the days to come. God bless you. Trust him. Thanks for being with us at Broadway Church today. Stick around and see an update about some of the things that are going to be happening at Broadway over the next few weeks and months. God bless you, folks.